Hello everyone, welcome back to the Christianese podcast where we talk about sore subjects that have been brought to light regarding the Christian faith. We'll discuss things regarding why modern Christianity is seeming to flounder as the post-Christian society makes its way in. We'll discuss ways we can change some of the flaws in our Christian subculture. I'm your host, J.D. Shin. Let's roll. Today, we'll discuss rude Christians. It's been often said that Christians are rude, smug, and grumpy people. Some of the criticism of Christians has really for centuries been that they, we, are hypocrites. We've all heard the hypocrisy critique, and we've often had our rebuttal for this, but it tends to fall on deaf ears. By perception, we're known as a bunch of goody-two-shoes, judgy, rule followers who never have any fun, rather than being like our leader. And what he said to do is to be salt and light, flavor, joy, and direction. Hindu leader Mahatma Gandhi is attributed as saying, Jesus, I like. It's his people I have a problem with. And that sentiment really permeates the world. Now, this sentiment is not really what Jesus was asking of people to just like him as if clicking a box on social media, but rather to drop everything old and follow him, to carry his character. But that's another subject for another time, and we will get there. What are... What are people seeing in us that is so repellent? Sure, we can blame social media, we can blame Satan, or anything else, really. Um, But if if really, if if in reality, if Christians would take a step back, we really have to acknowledge that they have a point. So think about your church. I know I, and and. Most of us can probably do this. I'm sure I can think of at least 10 people who sit in a, in a chair or a pew seat next to you who carry the grumpiest demeanor with them at all times. Then often, what's the case with that same person, is that they will, in a somewhat braggadocio sort of way, that they'll proclaim that they've been a Christian for X number of years and that it's been great ever want to ask them to tell their face? This attitude just doesn't emulate any kind of good flavor. I can't say I believe that we're all cantankerous, irritable, bad-tempered people, but the squeaky wheel does get the grease, doesn't it? The stories are he- I, I've heard and I've experienced, um, there's, there's a lot of them, and I'll share a couple of them. One Tim, Tim was a deacon in my church as I grew up and, and when I was in high school. He was responsible for the event calendar and to make sure that the church facility was being used properly. In high school, I proposed that we uh, host a rock concert with some popular bands who had Christ at their core and in their lyrics and in their lives. Tim was against this. He didn't think that the musicality honored God. 
He denied the request. It was later found out that he had been having an adulterous affair. His crusty attitude didn't translate into giving flavor to young people who enjoyed the music and environment of bands who were unapologetically Christian but still knew how to make quality music that reached a certain crowd. Not a good reflection of Christianity with integrity or with his crusty attitude. Another example is Shelley, who was an employee of mine. Uh, after working with me for a couple of months, and, and we'd had some very open conversations about God, she made a statement that could have made me feel proud and maybe even arrogant, uh, but it, instead it made me sad. She said something to the effect of, I've never met a Christian like you, someone that cares for others, is honest, holds deeply their beliefs, and can talk openly about them without making other people feel alienated. Maybe she just ran in the wrong circles, which she did. But obviously she had come across a lot of Christians in her world, and her true experience with them was that they didn't leave a very good flavor. I, I can hear your minds wondering, this, this is a, a Christmas time podcast. Isn't this supposed to be Christmassy? Well, we're getting there. Just hold your horses. My overarching point today is that Christ's uniqueness should produce in his true followers a unique kind of love and joy. A, a love and a joy that shows and does. Let's look at some of that uniqueness, and then we can translate it into our own lives. The historical Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 prophecies. The likelihood of fulfilling just eight, so betrayed by a friend, born in Bethlehem, Israel, have a person who came before him in John the Baptizer, he entered the city on a donkey, he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, then those 30 pieces of silver were used to buy a potter's field, he kept silent while on trial, and he was crucified, which, at the time of the prophecy, was a capital punishment capital punishment form that hadn't even been invented yet. So the math on the likelihood of one person fulfilling just eight is one in ten septillion, or one in ten to the 27th power. That's unique. He was unique in, in his life. From his very first miracle in Cana of Galilee, Jesus' ministry was marked by its miracles. Now, these, these weren't just healings of delusional illnesses. You know, I'm on day six and a half of a cold, and Jesus prays, and I'm better the next day. No, 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 no. They, they also weren't explainable on natural grounds, like the cold I just shared about. They were unique in that they were immediate, always successful, and had no known relapses. And they were healed illnesses that were known to be incurable, such, such as uh, a person born blind. Uh, Jesus even raised people from the dead, including Lazarus, who's, okay, this is vile, but his body was already to the point of rotting. Okay, that's disgusting. But it's unique. He was unique in the resurrection. The crowning event of Jesus' earthly ministry was... The resurrection. It was 
not only predicted in the Old Testament, in Psalms, in Isaiah, and all kinds of places, but Jesus himself predicted it from the very beginning of his ministry. He said, destroy this temple, his body, and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus demonstrated the reality of his resurrection in then 12 different appearances over 40 days to more than 500 people. And we live in social media era and you know, YouTube and whatever else. They didn't pull out a cell phone and share it. It didn't work that way. Jesus relied on his visitation to 500 people to launch the church. That's unique. He was unique in his conception. Uh, Christ was not only supernaturally anticipated, he was also miraculously conceived. While announcing his virgin conception, Matthew chapter 1 points to the prophecy of Isaiah. Luke, a physician, records this miraculous inception of human life. Paul alludes to it in his letter to the church in Galatia. Of all human conceptions, Jesus stands alone as unique and miraculous. We could go deeper with Christ's uniqueness in these particular items, just these, and, and a lot of others, tons of others, you guys. But lots of other books have been written and, uh, and by smart people, so I can recommend books to you if you want to go deeper on those. But what do we, what do, we do with Jesus' uniqueness? A church father, Paul the Apostle, wrote to a church in Colossae that he helped with, and he said, Be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with the full riches of complete understanding, so that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Peter, a man who was super close to Jesus, wrote in a letter to a group of Christians that you are a unique people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This unique Christ has said to all people, I want to be friends. I want to wipe away all the tears. I want you to be in my light and to have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's a pretty cool gift that he gives to those who say yes to him. I, I got a, a pretty cool flannel last year at Christmas, and I love it. But it's not as cool and empowering and awesome as joy. The people who follow Christ sorry, people who don't follow Christ are often kind and loving. But with Jesus, that gift of kindness and love and joy grows exponentially. He leaves it to us to act on what we've been given, though. He came that we would have life more abundantly. So consider this. When you see a baby, as long as they didn't just poop, that baby brings you a type of joy. Now consider that baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, Jesus, as a supremely unique child who came carrying a joy unlike any other. Not so that we can try to look like we have it all together, um, not to merely follow rules and be against those who don't carry the same values, but to be for those people, to bring joy to the world. 
that we live in, the deeper things of Christ are worth exploring. And he gives those deeper things to those who diligently follow him. I'll finish with this. Did you know the following about the manger that Jesus was laid in? Mangers are animal feed, feeding troughs. In, but in, in ancient Israel, they were made of stone. Not what you see in the modern nativity scene, made of wood and just kind of stacked together and yada yada. Not, not a comfortable place, but great for protection. That's why those who were experts in this, the Israelite priests, would put their newborn lambs in mangers for protection. Not just any lambs, though. The unblemished perfect lambs that were used in the sacrifices made for sins. In Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was actually famous for their unblemished lambs. Now these lambs had to be perfect, so they would wrap them tightly in cloth and lie them in a manger to keep them safe. This is where it gets really cool. This is exactly why the only time mangers are mentioned in Jesus' birth story is when it's being told to shepherds. Dr. Luke describes it in Luke chapter 2. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. The shepherds would have understood this super powerful parallel. They knew what the cloth and the manger meant. This baby would be the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah who would sacrifice his life for the sins of the whole world. He wasn't just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He was God, perfect, sinless, and holy. He humbled himself to become the perfect sacrifice to bring the whole world back to himself. And that, my friends, that unique and perfect lamb is why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a linchpin moment on which the whole world saw the most amazing miracle. Now, people have messed up, for sure. Of course. I'm chief of them. <laughs> but God did something amazing to come here and give us all, as messed up as we are, a great gift. A gift that's beyond a flannel, a gift of joy, a gift of forgiveness and healing, and all those good things that God can do. We can change our mind, but God can change the heart. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself from deity to walk the earth as a human, to be the God-man, so that we can be made right with you. Not to be grumpy pious, religious people, but people who follow you and walk out your unique joy. As we celebrate and joyfully give this season, keep in our hearts that the joy you have brought. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining today. Walk out joy and don't be crusty. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Even when we struggle and times are hard, You've been given a gift of joy, dear friends of Christ. We really have. Thanks for coming to Christianese again. I'll talk to you next time. I love you.